Mark 9, verses 2 through 13. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. And then Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, we praise you that you have spoken uh, to us uh, through your prophets, uh, through the eyewitness apostles, and we pray that as we hear what they would have to say this morning, that we would love Christ uh, more and know more of what it means to live for him in his precious name. Amen. I wonder if you ever find it hard as a Christian, if you would call yourself a Christian this morning, to believe the claim that Jesus is coming back. It can seem hard to believe, can't it, when the world just keeps going uh, as it seemingly always has done. Uh, the earth keeps spinning, uh, one Sunday rolls around to the next Sunday, it's Monday morning in no time at all. It's hard, uh, there's no, no sign of Jesus uh, turning up yet. Is he really uh, coming back? Maybe, um, maybe Christians over the years have had it wrong. Uh, maybe God hasn't told us how this story ends. But the thing is, um, God has told us. Um, if he hadn't told us, uh, we would be left scrabbling around in the dark. We would have no idea. Um, and we would soon fill in the gaps uh, with stories of our own, wouldn't we? Um, An unfinished story uh, is an awkward one, isn't it? There's um, a Charles Dickens novel uh, that 
uh, called The Mystery of Edwin Drood. Um, and he died, uh, Charles Dickens died, halfway through writing it. Um, it's, a, it's a murder mystery, uh, and we've never known who done it. That's a bit frustrating, isn't it? I mean, it could have been apparently very different. And um, three months before he died, he sent a, a letter to Queen Victoria. That's quite fun. Um, asking, telling her that if she wanted, he would, he would uh, fill her in on the details uh, before everyone else uh, knew. It could have been very different. She, um, he, she refused. She said, no, I'll wait. I'll wait uh, for, uh, with everyone else. But it, was, it is unfinished. The problem uh, with an unfinished story is that everyone then comes along to fill in the gaps, uh, don't they? So apparently there have been at least 12 uh, unofficial published uh, versions uh, by various writers trying to complete the story uh, for themselves, all obviously, uh, with a different ending. And one writer even claimed that he had channeled Charles Dickens' ghost uh, through his spirit pen. Um, there we go. So, I mean, obviously that's the one we're going to read uh, if we want to find out uh, what Charles Dickens actually had to say. But you see the problem, don't you? If God hasn't told us how this world ends... If he hasn't told us that God is coming back, well, then we'll listen uh, to anyone's bright ideas. Everyone's opinion is equally valid, and we'll all pitch in, and we'll pick our favorite. But as we're going to see today, God has told us um, how this world will end. He has told us that it will end when Jesus uh, returns. Peter won't focus on the details uh, in our passage. That's for chapter 3. We'll get that in, in a couple of weeks. But today, he does want to remind us that God has told us that Jesus will return. He has told us through his eyewitness apostles and through the reliable prophets. And so we must trust what he has given to us. So when others come along and they've got their own um, uh, special ending to the story, we'll know not to listen. That's where we're going this morning. Just a reminder of where we're up to in one, uh, two, Peter. Um, We had our first sermon last week. And 2 Peter is essentially a warning to Christians uh, not to be drawn away from Christ by the lies of the false teachers. That's what it is, a warning uh, not to believe the lies. Chapter 1 is all about the reminders, the things Peter reminds them that will keep them going. So last week, they have all that they need uh, for a godly life. This week, they have all they need in the reliable message. And they need that message because chapter 2 The false prophets are spreading lies. They're drawing people away. And then chapter 3, he'll go on to focus on the future, on Jesus' return. Because the lies that the false teachers want to tell is that Jesus isn't coming back at all. That's the basic message they're telling, the basic lie. Jesus isn't coming back. We see that in um, in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Just flick over to it. Chapter 3, from verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So you see that the lie of the false teachers is that Jesus isn't coming back. That is what false teachers have always uh, taught Uh, And it is what false teachers continue uh, to teach today. If you do a a quick Google search, uh, uh, will Jesus come back? You get all sorts of crazy results. 
um, as you might expect. Uh, just one book that you can buy on Amazon if you, if you so wish. Indisputable Evidence, this is the title, it's not very catchy, but Indisputable Evidence that Jesus is not coming back by a chap called Patrick uh, Ugi. Um, th- this is how he describes the book, this is the blurb. That Jesus Christ is not coming back and the world is not ending have been agreed on by Christian scholars as far back as 50 years. What is... Ba- um, there we go. That's, that's a big claim. What is baffling is why pastors and teachers today still claim the, word will, the, the world will end in spite of overwhelming evidence in the Bible that shows otherwise. This book, a compendium of proofs, very grand, a compendium of proofs from the Bible builds on the scriptural facts to further establish that there is no end of the world and there is no second coming of Jesus. There we go. Um, I'll not give you the title again in case you're tempted to read it. Um, Not many of us, I guess, uh, are going to spend our Sunday afternoons reading a book like that. But even still, uh, we can be tempted to doubt Jesus' return. And so we need this reminder uh, from 2 Peter this morning. See, our passage uh, is a a sort of classic go-to for um, uh, the authority of God's word. Uh, And it is certainly that, but it is more than that. And this is critical stuff if we're going to keep going uh, as Christians. If we're going to have the confidence to resist the lies of the false teachers. And so Peter points us uh, to the two uh, trustworthy sources. He says, trust the eyewitness apostles and pay attention to the reliable prophets. That's our two two main points uh, this morning. Firstly then, trust the eyewitness apostles from verse 16. That's what verse 16 says. For we do not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, Peter is, Peter is reassuring them that they have heard the gospel message from reliable sources. And the we uh, in verse 16, for we did not follow, that we are, are the apostles and those who first proclaimed the gospel of the risen Christ. And Peter's saying, look, we weren't just passing on some clever stories that we happened to hear from some guy down the pub last Friday. These aren't um, fabricated fairy tales uh, like, like some Hans Christian Andersen classic. Fabricated stories are exactly what the false teachers want to tell. That's what he calls the, the, the lies of the false teachers in chapter 2, verse 3. And they're, te- they're telling these fabricated stories so that they can exploit people. But that is not what the apostles have taught. What the apostles have taught is totally different because they were eyewitnesses. So what was the message and that the apostles taught uh, to these Christians? Verse 16 says, When we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. What is that talking about? It's not actually talking about the first uh, coming of Jesus. It's not talking about uh, Christmas and, uh, and Jesus' ministry. It's talking about the second coming of Jesus. That's when Jesus will come in power. That's, when, uh, that's what the false teachers have been denying. That's why he picks it out here. The apostles had always taught uh, that Jesus would return because Jesus had promised that he would return. The apostles weren't telling uh, someone else's stories. They were taught themselves uh, by Jesus. They were eyewitnesses. 
but eyewitnesses of what? What were the eyewitnesses of? And Jesus hasn't come back yet, has he? And so they, they can't have been eyewitnesses to that because it hasn't happened. But they were eyewitnesses, Peter says, of his majesty. That is, that they saw at the transfiguration. And that's why we had Mark 9 read to us this morning to refresh our memories. What, what is the transfiguration all about? And it is that moment in Jesus' ministry when he goes up the mountain with Peter and James and John and before their eyes is, is transformed into this blazing light of awesomeness uh, with Moses and Elijah, two of the big hitters from the Old Testament watching, they appear to. A voice comes from heaven confirming who Jesus is. And the apostles, uh, Peter, James, and John, they were there uh, when that happened. They saw it and they heard it. They heard the voice of God saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. What's going on there? Well, God is using words from the Old Testament to point to who Jesus is. So this is my son, uh, is a quote from Psalm 2, where God anoints his king. The point is clear. Jesus is God's king. With him I am well pleased is from Isaiah 42, where God raises up his servant, uh, the one who will suffer uh, on behalf of his people. And so as God says that about Jesus, he confirms that Jesus is God's servant, the one who will suffer. And the apostles heard that for themselves. They didn't hear it secondhand um, after a series of of edits or interpretations. No, they were there. And Peter makes that point really very explicit. Again, verse 18. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. They were there. And so you can trust at what Peter says. We all get, don't we, that eyewitness accounts are much better uh, than second or, or third-hand accounts. Um, I don't know if you uh, heard, saw the story this week of, of Prince Philip's um, dramatic car crash. Um, I love that this morning the story was that he'd been out in another car uh, two days later without a seatbelt. I mean, the man, is, the man is 97 years old. Uh, they, they, they definitely are built of slightly sterner stuff. I would have been in bed for a week, you know, just in case of whiplash. He's out driving around without a seatbelt. Um, if, um, if you followed the story on the BBC, it was dramatic. Um, uh, but the main article um, was about an eyewitness to the accident, an eyewitness uh, chap by the name of Mr. Warren. Um, and he told this, he said this to the Today programme. I saw a black car careering, tumbling across the road and ending up on the other side. I went to the black car to help and realized it was the Duke of Edinburgh. Uh, Mr. Warren is then asked if if Prince Philip was trapped. Mr. Warren replied, yes, he was. I asked him to move his left leg and that freed his right leg and then I helped him to get out. Mr. Warren then said that he couldn't remember what the Duke had, had then said but added that it was nothing rude. <laughs> Good. Worth, worth, worth clarifying, given, given, um, given the source. Uh, the reason they were interviewing this man, Mr. Warren, was because he, he was there. We get that, don't we? He was the eyewitness. He saw and heard it for himself. 
And in the same way, it is the apostles' testimony that matters because they were there. They saw it. They heard it for themselves. Who cares what anyone else says, basically? Who cares what the false teachers say? Were they there? Did they see it? No. Why is it, why is it the transfiguration uh, that Peter uh, goes to to back up his case? Why is it so important that they heard and saw uh, what happened that day? Why not some miracle? Why not the resurrection? Well, the answer is that, that Peter is focusing on Jesus' second coming. Isn't he? We've already seen that. He's talking about the day when Jesus will return. So in verse 17, Peter describes the transfiguration as the moment when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father. So that it is the transfiguration that is the moment in Jesus' earthly ministry when we get a glimpse of his eternal glory, of his true glory. The glory that all of us will see at one day when Jesus returns. And Peter says, I saw a glimpse of that glory then. So he knows what is to come. The transfiguration, if you like, is a bit like a dress rehearsal uh, to the real show coming up. And so if you've seen the dress rehearsal, you have a pretty good idea what the real thing will look like. So when Peter uh, talks about Jesus' return in glory, well, we can trust him. He's seen the dress rehearsal. We can trust what the apostles wrote. And if we, if we really believe that, if we know that, it will keep us from being drawn away by the lies of the false teachers, by all sorts of crazy ideas about Jesus' return. See, people will say all sorts of things. They'll write all sorts of books. And most commonly, I guess, they'll, they'll say it won't happen. Jesus isn't coming back. Don't waste your time thinking about that. But with all due respect, who cares at what they say. Who cares? Did they see Jesus' glory at the transfiguration? Were they eyewitnesses? If the answer is no, then don't listen to them. I think that should give us enormous confidence uh, as we come to the New Testament. It was written by those who were there. Uh, we can trust it. Most of us, we probably get that. Uh, don't we? we sort of know uh, that we can trust uh, what is written in the New Testament. But it is worth uh, just dwelling on for, for a moment longer. If you are a Christian uh, this morning, the faith that you profess is not based on Chinese whispers. Uh, it is not a series of opinion pieces uh, by a bunch of freelance journalists. It is not based on some cleverly devised stories. It is the eyewitness accounts of those who were there. So we can have confidence in it. When it comes to the reality of Jesus' return, Peter reminds them that they can trust the eyewitness apostles. That's the first thing he wants to, to remind them, trust those eyewitness apostles. The second is pretty similar, but, but expands it back into the Old Testament as well. He says to them, our second point this morning, pay attention to the reliable prophets. Uh, read with me uh, verse 19. Uh, look down. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. 
So if, um, if the apostles' message uh, wasn't enough, uh, Peter, Peter backs it up with another one, uh, the prophets. Uh, a message that is in and of itself completely uh, reliable. It's not partially reliable. It's not sort of 50-50, good bits, bad bits, uh, some, some questionable. No, it is completely uh, reliable. Now, that is quite a bold claim. I don't know if you can remember back as far as your GCSE history, if you did such a thing. Uh, maybe it wasn't even called GCSE history at that point. Um, you often got asked the question in history, didn't you? How reliable is this source? Um, by which, I guess they meant, can we trust uh, that, that the account that it gives us is accurate? Well, the answer when it comes to the prophets, how reliable is it? Completely reliable. Now, that is a pretty confident uh, assessment. How can Peter make such a claim? I mean, we can sort of understand, can't we, why the apostles' eyewitness testimony is, is reliable. Uh, they were there. Uh, they saw and heard it. But, but these prophets, well, they were writing hundreds of years before Jesus. How can they know uh, with certainty that Jesus will come back? Well, that's the, the extraordinary answer uh, that we get in verse 20. Look down at verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, it's popular uh, to think uh, nowadays, isn't it, that the Bible is, is simply a, a collection of subjective experiences uh, of the people that wrote it. So, you know, back in the day, they thought about God in this way, uh, they experienced some things, and they wrote about it. Well, if that were the case, the, the prophets uh, could tell us nothing, uh, nothing absolute about God. It would just be their perception of God uh, at one point in time. Um, it would be a bit like um, uh, you're wanting to plan uh, your afternoon out in London. Well, you're not going to go to a postcard uh, from a tourist that was written 200 years ago. Well, what did they get up to? That, that might be an interesting uh, interpretation of their day 200 years ago, but, but is it really relevant uh, for my day today? But see, 2 Peter teaches us that, that it isn't, that's not what the prophets are doing. They're not just writing their own little interpretation uh, of some events. They didn't wake up one morning and think, I really want to write about my experience of God, uh, and that's it. No, even though the prophets were human, 2 Peter says, they spoke the very words of God. And why? Well, because the Holy Spirit was speaking through them. He describes it as, as being carried along. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit, which is the same word that, that they use in Acts at 27, verse 15, where uh, the apostle Paul is in a shipwreck and his ship is carried along, driven along by the storm. The ship goes where the storm takes it. That's the point. So it was, says Peter, when God spoke through the prophets. The words of every prophecy in Scripture are the very words that God wanted to speak. What the prophets were saying is what God was saying. And so in Peter's argument, it's specifically those prophecies that speak about the day of the Lord at the day of Jesus' return. Those prophecies, he says, are completely reliable. It doesn't matter uh, that those prophets didn't know specifically 
uh, that they were talking of Jesus' return because it was God who was speaking through them. And so he says their message is completely reliable. Completely reliable. What, what difference does it make uh, for us? Well, he gives us it in verse 19, second half of verse 19. They are completely reliable, so you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So he says, if you want to know the truth about Jesus' return, well, the prophets, they're like a light shining in a dark place. Just imagine, I don't know, you're, the, you're on the crew of a, a search and rescue helicopter and you're looking for some lost climbers on a dark mountainside. This, is, this has to be before the days of infrared cameras and, and heat-seeking uh, devices, okay? You've just got the searchlight. That's all you've got. If you have any hope of finding those climbers on that mountainside, you've got to look where the light is pointing. There's no point looking off into the darkness. You've got to look where the light is. So it is, Peter says, with Jesus' return. If you want to know the truth, uh, don't scrabble around in the darkness uh, listening to the claims of the false teachers. Look where the light is pointing. Look at the prophets. Now, of course, I guess you only need, you need the, the light uh, as long as it's dark, as long as it's nighttime. Once the day comes, you'll be able to see at the mountainside. So it will be uh, when Jesus returns. That's what Peter calls, uh, that's what Peter's referring to when he says, until the day dawns. That is the day when Jesus uh, returns. When that day comes, we will see uh, the truth that the prophets were pointing to all along. We'll see that they were right uh, when they said that the day of the Lord would come, that Jesus would return. I guess not many of us, um, perhaps, are in danger of saying that the Old Testament isn't God's word. Uh, maybe we are. But we may just uh, be tempted to think that it's, it's not all that relevant to us. We just have, might, might feel like we have less confidence in the promises of the Old Testament than, than in the New. The New Testament is kind of safe ground, isn't it? We feel a bit safer there, but the Old Testament just feels a bit further away, a bit more distant. Well, Peter wants us to have the same confidence, if not more confidence, uh, in the prophets as we do in the apostles. Because hearing what the prophets say about Jesus' return, well, it will stop us believing the lies of the false teachers. So he says, pay attention. Pay attention. Read what they have to say uh, and let them fill you with confidence uh, that Jesus will return. We, um, we might not deny uh, outright uh, that Jesus is coming back. But it is very easy, isn't it, in our lives to become so focused on the here and now that we've, we just sort of forget. Uh, we functionally live as if Jesus weren't coming back. And it just seems strange and, and distant. Particularly, I think, if, if you're the sort of person that likes sort of investigating and and um, uh, looking at the facts. You know, so when it comes to the resurrection, uh, we, can, we can sort of look at the historical evidence uh, there. When it comes to Jesus' second coming, 
It is harder. Uh, There is just less evidence. uh, Because it hasn't happened yet. But God has not left us in the dark. He's not left us uh, not knowing how the story ends, uh, wanting to make up uh, the ending that suits us. Peter says he has given us uh, all the end. He has given us the end of the story uh, through his word. He's done it through his eyewitness apostles and through those reliable prophets. God has promised that Jesus will return. Uh, We'll think more of that uh, when we come to chapter 3. God has promised it, and God will always keep uh, his promises. So, um, when the world says uh, that it isn't true, uh, when uh, people write books to say Jesus isn't coming back, when when people just sort of scoff and laugh, uh, when the man on the street just thinks it's ridiculous, or or the loudmouth colleague says, you don't believe that, do you? Well, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? Um, are you going to believe people that were there, the eyewitness apostles? Are you going to believe those through whom God spoke, his reliable prophets? When you are tempted to doubt that, come back to what God's word has to say. Let the Bible shape how you see this world. Let the Bible tell you how the story ends. That's how we'll keep going. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have given us uh, your eyewitness apostles, their testimony written down for us in the New Testament. We praise you that you have given us reliable prophets written down for us in the Old Testament. Father, thank you that, that we know how this story ends, the story of this world. Um, it will end in Jesus' return. And that will be a great and glorious day. Father, help us to believe that. Help us to trust what you have given us uh, so that we might be prepared for that day, uh, that we might believe it truly, and that we might resist the lies that say Jesus is not coming back. Would we know differently because you have spoken? In Jesus' name, amen.